Hello, welcome to my Two Cents Podcast, where today I will be giving you my honest review of SummerSlam and NXT TakeOver 36. Let me be honest with you right now. SummerSlam was a good pay-per-view. I mean, this whole week of professional wrestling was good, especially Friday night, and then you got jam-packed on Saturday night with SummerSlam, and then Sunday night with NXT TakeOver 36. This whole weekend was good professional wrestling. Just from top to bottom. Let me just start that off right there. And what I want to start off with is SummerSlam. Since SummerSlam was on Saturday. Which was odd to me. But I understood why. Because Vegas usually doesn't have a good turnout. Unless it's like football. And their time difference is so much different from Eastern Standard Time. Because when WWE usually have their pay-per-view on Eastern Standard Time. It's usually at 8 o'clock p.m. And it's nighttime and everything else. But once they have it on the West Coast. As in the Vegas. Or even in the Californias early. Like at five in the afternoon and they get done probably about over at nine o'clock over there and it'll be over here about uh 12 o'clock so i understood why they did it but i just wish that they would have stuck to a sunday one better because having nxt on sunday was really weird it didn't make that much sense to me but hey that's wwe's prerogative they know what they want to do with their product um but anyway let me start off with SummerSlam. SummerSlam opens up with a Raw Tag Team title match with RK-Bro going against AJ Styles and Omos. The first thing I noticed about this match was Riddle's gear. Riddle had uh, Viper, well, Snake-style um, gear, but with like the pink and still with the bro on it. His gear looked fire. Riddle knows how to make and get good gear. He's almost on par of the New Day, in my opinion, but the New Day always knocks it out the park, so just take that with the grain of salt. Not grain of salt, but just whenever you look at Riddle's gear, just know that his gear looks fire, but New Day's gear will always look uh, one more step above. But I'm rambling on. That was the first thing I noticed about this whole thing. But anyway, towards the end of the match, Riddle took out Omos by throwing him into the ring post outside. And with this happening, AJ saw this, and AJ decided to hit a springboard reverse DDT on Riddle outside the ring, and that knocked Riddle out for unconscious for a little bit. So AJ got back on the apron, and he was looking for the phenomenal forearm on Randy Orton, who was the legal man. AJ and Orton were the legal man at this time towards the end of the match. And as soon as AJ went for the phenomenal forearm, Orton moved out of the way. And with this happening, Orton was able to hit AJ with a backslide, and AJ was able to roll out of that backslide. But as soon as AJ rolled out of the backslide... Orton hits him with an RKO and gets the win. It was a nice tag team match. I decided just to shorten it down and condense it to the highlights of it. And that was the highlights of the match. Orton and Riddle were able to get um, good chemistry in the match. So was AJ and Omos. But in the end, RK-Bro are your new Raw Tag Team Champions. And that was kind of predictable because the way this was going after months and months of Riddle constantly trying to have Orton be his partner and AJ and Omos has beaten the whole tag team division. It was about time for them. So we'll see how this whole uh, RK-Bro team goes on. After this match, the next match that we see is Alexa Bliss going against Eva Marie. At the beginning of the match, Eva, Eva Marie is dominated by Alexa. Eva decides that she goes after Lily instead of going after Alexa. And as she's doing this, she starts slapping the doll. Alexa sees this. She stops and looks at Eva and hits a yell in front of Eva. And Eva just panics and freezes in that moment. And Alexa pounces on top of Eva Marie and starts just hitting all up on her. And at this moment, Eva is asking Dewdrop for help. But Dewdrop is not helping Eva Marie at all. She hears this. And she says, you got this, Eva Marie, you got this. And Eva just constantly starts yelling for Dewdrop, and Dewdrop doesn't want to step in or nothing. Towards the end of the match, Alexa hits Eva with a DDT and gets the win. And after the match, Alexa goes out of the ring. She walks up the ramp with her doll, Lily, and Dewdrop is on the outside. And Eva Marie rolls on the outside towards Dewdrop. And say, why didn't you help me? And just starts questioning Dewdrop why and why. Dewdrop ends up getting the microphone from the ring announcer and announces the loser of the match, Eva Marie, and starts mocking Eva after weeks and months of Eva just constantly berating Dewdrop, making Dewdrop do her dirty work and not getting nothing of the benefits, never ever getting any type of acknowledgement of being the one that gets the win in their matches. 
Dewdrop just decides to now leave Eva Marie. So Eva's now by herself and Dewdrop is going to become the wrestler that we all know that she is capable of being instead of being the lackey for Eva Marie. After this, we have a backstage interview with Mario Lopez interviewing RK-Bro. And the main point of this was RK-Bro established that they're going to be a dominant tag team from here going on forward. Randy says that they are going to use the three most dangerous letters in WWE, which is RK, and then he stops, and he just looks around and says, bro, and then he walks away. Riddle tells Mario Lopez that he has a surprise for Randy on Monday Night Raw, and Mario Lopez asks Riddle, can you give us a sneak hint? And Riddle says, you know I can't do that, bro, but hey, I'll check you out later tonight once we party, all right? Mario Lopez says, all right. After this interview, we have a United States Championship match of Sheamus going against Damian Priest. Damian Priest and Sheamus have a hard-hitting match. These guys just start throwing, just start throwing haymakers at one another. And once you hear the hits, you know that they're throwing it with all force and everything. And they also start doing power moves to one another. And I mean, this is match is just nothing but two guys just throwing, I mean, just throwing fists at one another. And I mean, this is the type of match that. People in Japan will like if they were in Japan. And hardcore, like, wrestlers, like, not wrestlers, but, like, hardcore fans, like the internet guys, like this style match. And that's what I liked. I like guys just throwing uh, caution to the wind from time to time and throwing hands at one another. And this match was one. In the end, Sheamus uh, locks Priest in a heel hook. And Priest is yelling out in agony. He doesn't want to tap. So he resorts to pulling off Seamus's face mask. And Seamus looks stunned, and now he's trying to do everything he can to try to cover up his face so his nose won't get broken again. And with this happening, Seamus let go to the heel hook, and Priest starts getting up, and he hits a spinning heel kick to Seamus in the face. And Seamus is now discombobulated, which gives Priest the perfect opening to hit the reckoning on Seamus and gets the win. So now we have a new United States champion in Damian Priest. After this match, we have a SmackDown Tag Team title match of the Usos going against the Mysterios, Rey Mysterio and Dominic Mysterio. The Usos dominate Dominic the most of this match. Dominic couldn't even get a whiff of his father's hand during this match. Every time he would try to go over and try to tag in his father, the Usos would just drag him right into the middle of the ring or drag him to their corner and just start stomping and putting the boots to Dominic. But once Dominic does tag in Rey Mysterio, Ray was able to handle the Usos by himself. He was able to fly all across the ring. He hits Huda Karanas. He's hitting springboard moves on top of the Usos and all this. And at one point, Jay ends up super kicking Ray midair. And he ends up hitting the Uso splash. And you think that's the end of the match, but it's not. Ray kicks out. So later on, Ray hits Jimmy with a 619. But as Ray was going up for the top rope frog splash and he comes down, Jimmy puts his knees up and Ray is now holding his stomach because now he uh, missed the frog splash. And as this happening, he's on the ground in the middle of the ring. Jay and Jimmy are on opposite ends of the turnbuckles and they hit a sandwich super kick, a.k.a. meaning Jimmy's on one side, Ray is in the middle, Jay is on the other side, and those two boots hit Ray equally in the middle of his face, and he just sandwiched his head right between their foot. And that knocked Ray out, and Jay was able to get the win by hitting a Uso splash after that and pinning Ray Mysterio. So the Usos are still the SmackDown Tag Team Champions, and they are still, well, holding titles along with their cousin, Roman Reigns, as this night is going and progressing. After this, we have a backstage interview of Tiffany Haddish interviewing the new United States champion, Damian Priest. And the whole main point of this interview is for Damian Priest to say that he's happy that he took the United States title off of Sheamus. He's called Sheamus a bully, and Priest makes it known that he doesn't like bullies, so it makes it even more sweeter to have taken the United States championship off of a bully like Sheamus and shut him up for good. After this, we have an intermission of Rick Boogs is in the middle of the ring, and he plays King Nakamura's theme, and he just lets the people get to rock out with Rick Boogs and Nakamura and Pat McAfee. Pat McAfee is on the announce table. He's jamming out, just enjoying the jam session. 
Rick Boogs and Kane Nakamura go right next to the announce table and starts rocking out with Pat McAfee right there. So this whole segment right here was just to let people get a breather before the next thing that was going to happen. And the next match to happen was the SmackDown Women's Championship match between Bianca Belair and Sasha Banks. Bianca makes her way to the ring. She does her whole entrance. And now she's waiting in the ring for Sasha Banks to come out. As Bianca is waiting in the ring, the announcer lets everybody know that Sasha couldn't be here tonight. So Bianca Belair will be defending the title against Carmella. You can hear the boos in that arena just going loud and constantly just booing and booing and booing. And you see, even on Bianca's face, she isn't pleased with this. She doesn't like the idea of Sasha not being there. She has to defend the title against someone like Carmella. She isn't liking it. It's written all over her face. And once Carmella gets in the ring and she stands in front of Bianca, Bianca just gets a microphone and says, even though Sasha isn't here, one day they will wrestle against one another. And as she says this, she looks directly towards Carmella and says, since Sasha couldn't be here, she's going to take all her frustrations out on Carmella since Sasha couldn't be here and take this whooping. As Bianca gives the microphone back and she hands the title to the referee, you hear Becky Lynch's music hits and she makes her way down to the ring. You hear the fans start cheering for Becky because Becky has been out of WWE competition for a year and a half since she was announced that she was pregnant last year. She gives... she gives birth and she had to train herself back to get into ring shape she's back in wwe becky lynch gets in the ring she stares down bianca belair as she's letting the fans just chant her name and she's soaking in all of this becky turns around and starts taking out carmella she throws her out of the ring she throws her into the steel steps and then as soon as she does this she gets right back in the ring she grabs a mic and she asks Bianca, why don't we do this right now? The man going against Bianca Belair for the SmackDown Women's Championship. Bianca Belair says, okay, we can do that. And we have a match. It's now the SmackDown Women's Championship, Bianca Belair going against Becky Lynch. The referee rings the bell. And you see Bianca start uh, exercising herself up. She starts pumping herself up. She jumps up and down in the ring. She starts getting herself together. And Becky Lynch is seen just standing there moving around a little bit. And she decides to walk up to Bianca and extend her hand out for a handshake. Bianca does the exact same thing back. She extends her hand out. They shake hands. But Becky pulls Bianca in and hits her with a forearm. After Becky hits Bianca with a forearm, she pulls Bianca in and hits her with a manhandle slam. Uh, basically a rock bottom. And she pins Bianca Belair, and she is now the new SmackDown Women's Champion. This was a real fast match, and after the match, you hear people just cheer, and they're still confused now because they thought they were going to at least get a 10- to 15-minute match. And people even online were looking at this like, how could they just let Bianca Belair get squashed so quickly like that? And Bianca Belair has been on a dominant role since WrestleMania. She hasn't like lost loss a match like this and eight never and you do this now i said i didn't like it and i thought that we were at least gonna get a 10 to 15 minute match if you would have given us a 10 to 15 minute and let becky win people would have been upset because okay becky comes back and she wins the championship but people would at least understand it because she had 10 to 15 minutes to win it you gave Bianca Belair literally about a good 20 seconds in the ring and gets smashed and squashed and boom. Becky's now the new SmackDown Women's Champion. Hey, Becky comes back. She wins the championship. I can't hate on that because anybody in her situation would do it. I'm just looking at WWE management like they should have given this match some time and just allow it to happen that way at the end after you've given these two women some time. These two could have given you guys at least a good solid good match. I'm not going to say a classic, but at least a good match that would have sustained of a Bianca versus a Sasha Banks match. But you guys give Bianca a quick squash. That wasn't that wasn't necessary. That wasn't cool. And people aren't happy about that online. This gives the black community, I'm going to say it right now. This gives the black community, the black wrestling fans community, this gives us 
a memory of Kofi Kingston getting beat quick by Brock Lesnar on the opening night of SmackDown when they went to Fox for the WWE Championship. This gives us that exact memory back. This is a nasty taste in the mouth. This is disgusting. I hope they fix this somehow. Bianca deserves a rematch after this. I know they're going to give it to her somehow. I don't know. I hope they don't give her a, a test that she got to jump through hoops just to even get this rematch. But I hope Bianca opens up Raw, not even Raw, SmackDown by saying, by God, I lost to Becky and now I got, I want my rematch. I hope that's where we're headed and I hope she gets a rematch this Friday night and at least give them a good solid 10 to 15 or even 20 if you want to push it. But be generous, 10 to 15, because that's enough. 10 to 15 minute match for that, for that to happen. That's what I'm hoping for. But anyway, Becky's the new SmackDown Women's Champion. That's what you need to take away from this. After this, we have George Hamilton announce Tamira Menestock and Gabe Stevenson. Those are the two Olympic gold medalist winners in the Olympics for wrestling. And they come down to the ramp and they enter the ring. There's been speculation that Gable might be joining WWE or he might be going to UFC. The world is in his, the world's his oyster. The man is about a good 22, 21. And he's fit. The man is jacked. So if he goes to UFC, God bless him. But if he goes to WWE, he's going to be able to adapt like a fish to water. I've that, I I don't doubt that at all for this man Gable. And Tamara, she said that she's been she's been wanting to do a WWE for a long time. So why not? I hope they sign her or at least give her a tryout and let her do it. And I mean, I don't see WWE cutting Tamara Manistock at all. I see them going to sign her, train her do everything they can to make her one of their biggest stars and biggest athletes. I see that, and I know WWE sees that. And if they don't, I know AEW is going to be quickly trying to knock on Tamara Manistock's uh, door if they end up not taking Tamara at all. So it'll be w it'll be best in WWE's favor to try to persuade and do whatever they can to grab both Gable Stevenson and Tamara. That's just my opinion on that one. After this, we have Drew McIntyre beating Jinder Mahal by pinfall. This match was plain and simple and dry. Jinder gets hit with a claymore and Drew gets the win. After the match, Indy Shear comes down and retrieves Jinder Mahal and Drew grabs his sword to uh, scare away Indy Shear before they can get in the ring and try to attack Drew McIntyre. But again, this match was dry. We all knew what was going to happen. We all knew Drew was going to win. And Jinder didn't even get that much offense in this match, it was nothing but Drew just basically dominating Jinder Mahal in this match. So, again, Jinder wins the match by Claymore kicking Jinder in the face. After this, we have our Raw Women's Championship match. The triple threat match of Nikki Ash defending her Raw Women's Championship against Rhea Ripley and Charlotte. Charlotte was the MVP of this match. I mean, she did some high-flying moves as she usually does in triple threats. She was doing uh, big boots. She was doing forearms. Let's not try to act like Charlotte ain't one of the best right now. But also, Rhea Ripley and Nikki Ash both played their parts as well. They did what they could do. Nikki tried to get uh, schoolboys and pinning maneuvers as quick as she can because she's trying to just retain her Raw Women's Championship. And Rhea was trying to dominate and show off that she should be the Raw Women's Champion in this match. I mean, this was a good triple threat match. It's not of the same uh, caliber as Rhea Ripley's triple threat with her, Charlotte, and Oscar earlier in the year. But again, this was a nice triple threat match. It uh, bested my it bested my uh, opinion and my thoughts of what was going to happen in this match. But anyway, towards the end of the match, Nikki Cross goes to the top rope and misses a crossbody towards Charlotte. This allows Charlotte to hit... Nikki Ash with the figure eight, and Nikki starts tapping out. And now Charlotte is the new Raw Women's Champion. Again, Charlotte is one of the best women's wrestlers on the planet. There's no debating it. Charlotte is literally one of the best. I just wish that they give Charlotte much more uh, better competitors to go in the mat, go in the ring with. I know Asuka always gives her a good match. We know Rhea can do it. I mean, who else is there on the Raw roster right now? I mean, we could try Shayna Baszler because Charlotte versus Shayna, I think that should be a good one if they let Shayna off the leash and let Shayna be that monster that she was in NXT, being able to break people's bones and tap people out. They need to utilize Shayna to her fullest potential because if they don't and they release her, either 
Impact is going to do it or AEW. And I'm going to say Impact because AEW can't always sign everybody. So Impact does need to be in the running for whenever people want to say, oh, AEW all the time. No, AEW won't be signing everybody. But Impact can sign certain people that can't just go over to AEW. But whenever Impact signs people, guess what? They have the possibility to go over to AEW because guess what? Impact's in a partnership. But anyway, getting back to my point, Charlotte needs more competitors. She needs more challengeable competitors to go against. Not always the constant recycling of either Rhea Ripley or Asuka. Those are two constant recycles right now. I'm hoping Shayna is next in line. And more than likely, after what we saw this past week on Monday Night Raw, where Charlotte tagged in herself after Nia was about to hit the bonsai drop on Rhea Ripley, we might get Nia Jax going after Charlotte next. That's just a little nugget right there for you. After this Raw Women's match, we have Edge going against Seth Rollins, a match seven years in the making. Throughout the match, Rollins' main focus was to hurt Edge's neck. I mean, he'll hit net breakers, he'll start punching Edge in the neck. I mean, he would do anything he can to try to just aim and hurt Edge's neck. That was Rollins' whole main focus. Rollins constantly in the match was trying to look for the curb stomp, but every time he would do it, Edge would always find a way to avoid it, either rolling out of the ring or catching Seth Rollins' boot. Something of the instance, Edge will always counter that curb stomp that Rollins was looking for. And towards the end of the match, Edge locks in a crossface on Seth Rollins. Rollins was about to break the crossface, and Edge knows it, so he grabs Rollins by the hair and starts bashing Rollins' head into the mat. I mean, just constantly bouncing and bouncing and bouncing and bouncing. Rollins' head directly into the mat, and then after that, Edge just locks in the crossface, but with a sleeper hole intent on it, and just adds more pressure onto it, and Rollins taps out. Edge did what he was supposed to do. Edge humiliated Rollins in style. He made Rollins tap out. I don't know when the last time we saw Rollins tap out, to be honest with you. It's a constant thing whenever you see a professional wrestler get pinned in the ring. It's a constant, but when they tap out, it always adds a little bit more uh, seasoning to the flavor. It adds a little bit more seasoning to the chicken or seasoning to the meal. Because fans are always going to be able to say, you tapped out. Wrestlers are going to be able to say, you tapped out. I mean, it's just a whole thing of people can say that you tapped out now. So, with this being the situation, Edge said that he had to humble Rollins. He did what he said he was going to do. And now, we just have to see how f- much this rivalry between Edge and Rollins will uh, happen how much of it will still continue on. And to be perfectly honest with you, I thought Becky was going to show up in this match because Rollins' whole deal was family. Edge's whole promo, whenever Rollins said something about family, Edge went to family. And even in the match, Edge hits Rollins with the glam slam, which is Edge's uh, wife's finishing maneuver, Beth Phoenix's finishing maneuver, the glam slam, in the match. He He hits Rollins with that. And I thought, okay, this is clarifying that we should have gotten Becky in this match at all. She should, We should have gotten it. We should have gotten Becky at least trying to help her husband out some way, and then Beth Phoenix come out to try to stop that. Just imagine, Edge and Beth Phoenix going against Becky Lynch and Seth Rollins at a pay-per-view or even on a big-time SmackDown event if they wanted to do it that way. That was money printed. That's money. I don't know what WWE is doing, what they're thinking, but again, hey, this is their company. I'm just a guy watching it, and I can just throw you out ideas. If you want to take them, take them. But I will always know in the back of my head, that was my idea. Anyway, after this, we go to an in-ring promo of The Miz and Morrison. And their whole thing is that they mention how dry it is in Vegas, how hot it is, and how humid. And John Morrison and The Miz say they have a new device called a Dripstick 2000. The whole Dripstick gimmick is they got a whole stick, and they just start soaking people with water. They argue about who has the dripstick. John Morrison thought Miz had it. Miz thought Morrison had it. And they were just arguing about it until you hear a voice off in the deep. And you notice the voice, and the voice gets bigger. And the light flashes onto the voice. And it's Xavier Woods with the dripstick 2000, which is basically a um, water gun, but it's hooked up to a big water jug that Woods is carrying on his back. Miz and Morrison tells Woods there are two of them and only one of him, and they're going to beat up Woods if he doesn't give back the Dripstick 2000. Woods say, you know what? I'm going to just spray you guys, and he just sprays them in the ring. 
He sprays Miz and he sprays Morrison with the Dripstick 2000. And that's the end of that segment. Now we're on to our WWE title match of Lashley going against Goldberg. Goldberg dominates the match early on. Goldberg is able to powerhouse move uh, Lashley every bit of the way. Goldberg even throws Lashley off of the top rope. And as he was doing this, Goldberg then sets up for the spear. Lashley's next to MVP, and MVP sees where Goldberg is going for. MVP then decides to pull Lashley out of the ring. Goldberg is now upset, and he gets outside of the ring, and he runs over and spears Lashley on the outside of the ring. Goldberg throws Lashley back in the ring, and the referee's looking at Lashley to see if he still can compete. Goldberg's in the corner. He's setting up for another spear, and he gets hit in the back of his knee by MVP and his cane. And Goldberg is now feeling the effects of this. This now allows Don, Bobby Lashley to dominate this match. He grabs Goldberg and starts throwing him into the ring post outside, but he throws his legs into the ring post. He does this about a good three or four times. He stomps on Goldberg's leg and everything else. And Goldberg can't get up to finish the match. The referee looks at Goldberg and he asks him, can he finish? Goldberg tries his best to try to stand up and he couldn't do it. So the referee has to stop the match. So Lashley beats Goldberg, but by referee stoppage. Lashley now has a steel chair that was slid into him by MVP. Lashley now goes after Goldberg's knee, and he just starts hitting Goldberg's knee with the chair multiple times, time after time after time. And out of nowhere, we see a guy jump the ring, well, jump inside the ring, and Lashley just locks the guy into the hurt lock. Not knowing anything until the camera pans in, we all know that that's Goldberg's son, Gage. Lashley locks in the herlock on Gage, and he just holds Gage in the herlock, and he's just shaking the kid. And MVP has to tap Lashley and say, yo, yo, that's a kid, that's a kid, that's a kid. And he, Lashley doesn't even see in the care. He still holds on to a little bit more, and he throws Gage down on the ring. Lashley gets his WWE Championship. MVP grabs the mic, and he says to the fans, that Lashley didn't know that was Goldberg's son that attacked him. He didn't know. Goldberg hears this, and he turns around, and he sees his son on the mat. He crawls over to his son, and he just checks on his son to see if he's okay or not. MVP and Lashley then get out of the ring, and as they're walking up the ramp, you can hear Lashley just holding the championship up and just, like, roaring out like a big roar. And then you get the camera panned over back to Goldberg, and Goldberg is yelling at MVP and Lashley saying, I'm going to kill you. So now you have woken up a different beast in Goldberg now because now he's seeing his son in some trouble. He's seeing his son in danger. After he gave the warning two Monday nights, two weeks ago on Monday Night Raw that, yo, leave my kid alone. You're not here to mess with my kid. Nobody messes with a kid. So now that this kid got messed with, we're more than likely going to see probably Lashley going against Goldberg in the street fight or something of that nature because next pay-per-view is Extreme Rules, so it wouldn't surprise me if Goldberg goes against Lashley in a street fight or something, or even a no-holds barred for the WWE Championship. After this, we are now in for the main event of the night, the Universal Championship match. If Roman doesn't win, he will leave the WWE. It is the big match John going against the head of the table, Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns dominates John Cena in the early of this match. Roman starts beating up on Cena, and beating him up, and beating him up, he throws him out of the ring, beats him up, beats him up, beats him up, it gets bad at one point that Roman just starts posing in the ring, he starts just hacking it up with the audience, he starts mouthing off into the camera, he even at one point looks at the camera, and he's talking to the camera saying, hey Hollywood, I'm gonna beat up John Cena, I'm gonna start beating up on him, and I'm sorry he's gonna be sent back to you guys all brooder and battered, I'm sorry, Maybe I can come out there and do some movies for you. Yeah, that, I can do that. But WWE is my home. I'm the man here. John Cena is just a guest. Who does he think he is? I mean, he's just mouthing off completely to start running Jack. At this point, Cena would constantly try to hit Roman Reigns with the roll-up. Because remember, Cena always said that Reigns has to be special. Because if he's not special on SummerSlam and he makes a mistake, Cena could easily just get him and get the one, two, three. And that's all he needs. So throughout this whole match, Cena would constantly try to roll up Reigns. And Reigns would constantly kick out and kick out. And Reigns got exactly what John Cena was trying to do. 
So he maneuvers out of that and just starts power playing up to Cena and starts just hitting him with Superman punches left and right. And Cena even starts wrestling now. And now you have a wrestling match between the two men. Now they're going forward. But towards the end of the match, both Cena and Reigns start throwing bombs at one another. Roman hits a Superman punch and he hits a drive-by on Cena. The drive-by is him running up on the apron and hit a drop kick on Cena. Cena hits Roman with an attitude adjustment on the outside of the ring through the announce table. I mean, these guys were just throwing haymakers at one another. They were just lodging bombs to see which would connect and what could put each other away. Roman starts getting frustrated at Cena because Cena won't stay down. I mean, Roman would hit him with a Superman punch, Superman punch, all these other things, and Cena just wouldn't stay down. So Reigns then tries to hit a spear. But once he tries to hit the spear, Cena moves out of the way and Roman hits the in-ring turnbuckle. Well, he hits the steel uh, post, but on the in-ring. And Cena then sets Roman Reigns up on the top rope and hits an attitude adjustment off the top rope. We all think that this match is done with after this because Cena only hits a limited of those attitude adjustments off the top rope. And when he does, it usually means that the match is over. But Roman kicks out of the pin. And after this, Roman hits Cena with two Superman punches in a row and then hits him with a spear and he wins. Roman Reigns is still the Universal Champion. He is still the head of the table and he is still the top dog in WWE. Well, that is until Brock Lesnar's music hits and boy, the fans went nutty for this because this has been our dream for us in this carnation of Roman going against Brock Lesnar. Roman Reigns now being the guy, now having this swag to him that he has on him, and Brock Lesnar being that undestructible force, that beast that he has been in, Roman has Paul Heyman right next to him. Paul will always be Brock's like advocate, Brock's left-hand and right-hand man. Anything Brock needed, Paul would do. So now is a meeting between the two titans, both of Paul Heyman's money men are now going to be meeting head-to-head. Roman is staring at Brock as he's walking down the ring, walking down the aisle into the ring, and Roman is just upset. You can see him seething in his face, and Paul Heyman is just curling over in the corner. He looks like he wants to cry because he is just so like, how can Brock be here? Why is he here? Why? And you hear Paul just screaming out, why, from his mouth, from just in the corner. But you see Roman and Brock just standing at each other face to face, eye to eye. Brock isn't doing nothing to Roman. Roman isn't doing nothing to Brock. And you could tell that we're going to get a match between these two, either at Survivor Series or even at the Royal Rumble or even at Mania. But Mania is still too far away from now. So I'll give it Survivor Series. We're going to get, we're going to let this marinate. We're going to let Brock marinate and Roman's whole thing marinate. We're going to let some more. Weeks and months go by before we actually get it at Survivor Series. That's where my bottom dollar is. Roman versus Brock at Survivor Series for the Universal title. That's where my money is for this. But um, Roman gets out of the ring. He starts walking up the ramp. Paul's behind him. You can just see Roman from time. He'll stop as he's walking up the ramp and looking at Paul. And Paul just says, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And Roman isn't trying to hear none of this. And he walks up the back. And you just... The camera goes right back to Lesnar in the middle of the ring, and he poses down, and you hear the fans just cheering. And that's how we end SummerSlam, where Roman is facing off with Brock Lesnar, and now the Beast is back, and you can tell what he wants. He wants the Universal title. And possibly, we can see Paul Heyman might play a big keynote part in this whole rivalry between the head of the table and the Beast Incarnate. Now to NXT TakeOver 36. NXT starts off with a million dollar championship between Cameron Grimes and LA Knight. If LA Knight wins, he will have still the million dollar championship, but instead of Cameron Grimes being his butler, it will be Ted DiBiase now taking over the butler position. But we don't have to worry about that because Cameron Grimes beats LA Knight when LA Knight tries to go after the million dollar championship and he goes into the ring and he's about to use it, but the referee stops him and Cameron Grimes hits a roundhouse kick, and he holds the Million Dollar Championship. And LA Knight rolls out of the ring, and he looks at Ted DiBiase in the face, and Ted DiBiase punches LA Knight. And then LA Knight rolls back into the ring. 
and then the referee now has the million dollar championship and Ted DiBiase grabs the million dollar championship from her and throws it back into the ring and has Cameron hold the million dollar championship basically create a distraction while Ted DiBiase grabs LA Knight back again and hits it with the million dollar dream a move that Cameron Grimes would constantly try to hit throughout this whole match and even then when Cameron Grimes did actually apply the million dollar dream onto LA Knight LA Knight didn't tap but when Ted DiBiase does it he has some vigor he has some force to it because he was the man that created the million dollar dream so LA Knight is just out in the ring, out and outside in the million dollar dreams. He can't get out of it. Ted DiBiase ends up throwing him in back into the ring. Cameron Grimes is at the corner and he just amps it up and he hypes up the fans and he yells out to the moon and he runs over and he cave stomps LA Knight and he pins LA Knight and now we have a new million dollar champion in Cameron Grimes. I mean, this was a good match to start off for NXT TakeOver. TakeOver knows how to usually start off with good matches, and this was one. I can't name everything that happened in this match because this match was good. I didn't think it was going to be this great because, let's be honest, they don't usually do... I'm not going to say they. Cameron Grimes and LA Knight, they're good wrestlers. No doubt about it. It's just that their chemistry wasn't that frequent in their latter match and in their other match. But this one, they were actually able to work together and actually able to pull off some really big moves to really get people really, really excited for the match. So, again, I'm not hating on the performers. I'm not hating on the wrestlers. I'm not hating on NXT at all. I'm just saying that these two usually don't have a good chemistry. But tonight, tonight, they were able to pull off a banger of a first opening matchup for NXT TakeOver. After this, we have the NXT Women's Title Match between Raquel Gonzalez and Dakota Kai for the NXT Women's Championship. This match was all about speed versus strength. Dakota Kai with the speed, Raquel Gonzalez with the strength. In the beginning of the match, Dakota's whole strategy was to get Gonzalez so upset that she ends up making a mistake, which Raquel does make mistakes, which allows Dakota to start hitting Gonzalez with punches and kicks constantly throughout this whole thing. At one point, Dakota was able to hit the Yakuza kick on Raquel, and Raquel rolls out of the ring. Dakota then rolls... Raquel back into the ring and doesn't get the win. And even at one point, Raquel Gonzalez has a little wardrobe malfunction with one of her straps. It doesn't show it on television. They show a commercial, not a commercial, they show a replay of Dakota uh, hitting Raquel with uh, the Yakuza kick in the face. But you notice that she's messing with her strap, so she has a tire strap back up. But anyway, I'm not letting that take away from the match itself. In the end, Dakota has Raquel Gonzalez on the top rope. And she was looking to hit a Yakuza kick on Raquel Gonzalez. But Raquel catches Dakota as she's revving herself up and lifting up her foot and close to her face. Raquel catches Dakota and lifts up Dakota and hit a middle rope Chikina bomb. And that was all that was had to be done. Raquel was able to hit power moves throughout this match. But just hitting that Chikina bomb, that's all she needed to do. And she got the win. After the match, Kaylee Ray walks out onto the stage and stares at Raquel Gonzalez. Kaylee Ray is the longest reigning NXT UK Women's Champion. I mean, see, I'm going to break that down a little bit too when I get to Walter, but I have a little problem with those uh, descriptions as being the longest reigning uh, champion over in the UK for that. I have a problem with that, but let's not diminish this. Kaylee Ray is now on... America's NXT, American Soil NXT, and you can tell that she wants Raquel Gonzalez next. After this, we have the NXT UK title match. Ilya Dragunov going against Walter. This match was to see if Ilya can actually beat Walter and stop his 870-day reign as NXT UK champion. Let me just say this right now. This match was the epitome of strong style in the American version or even UK version. This isn't Japanese strong style, but it was the closest that you can get to it because, boy, they were lighting each other up. They were hitting each other up so bad that Ilya has a complete red chest. He broke, he broke some blood vessels in his chest that you could see it. Walter has some broken uh, blood vessels in his chest. His chest were red up, too. I mean, they were just throwing hits and blows. I mean, I thought Sheamus and Priest was hard-hitting. This one really blows it out of the water. I mean, these guys were throwing hits. And, I mean, Walter was doing power moves to Ilya. And Ilya just wouldn't stay down. 
I mean, Ilya is the complete epitome of whenever John Cena says never uh, give up, Ilya is that. It should have Ilya's face next to the never give up so people can understand what John Cena truly means. Everything that Walter would try to do to Ilya, hitting him in the face with a big boot, chopping him in his chest, chopping him in the back, I mean, just forearming him in his chest, I mean, just constantly power bombing him, and I mean, everything in the world. I mean, Ilya just wouldn't even stay down. At one point, Walter goes to the top rope and hits a big splash on Ilya. And Walter is a good two-something boy, two-eighty-style boy. He's a tall, he's a, he's a good 6'4", six, 6'5", six, but he had, carries the weight nicely, though. But even though, he still goes to the top rope and hits a splash on Drew, Ilya. This was a brutal match, and in the end... Ilya puts Walter in a sleeper hold, and Walter wouldn't quit. So Ilya decides, you know what, I'm going to light Walter up. He straight up lights Walter up in the back. He kicks him, and he just kicks Walter's head. He kicks Walter's shoulders. He starts chopping Walter behind the head. He does everything he can, and then he locks in the uh, sleeper hold one more time, and he puts a lot more force on the sleeper hold, and you can tell that Walter is in a deep trouble, and Walter decides to tap out, and Ilya is the one to beat Walter, and the one to end his 870-day reign as NXT UK Champion, so Ilya Dragunov is our new NXT UK Champion. Now, before I go on with anything else, let me, the reason, let me tell you the reason why I have a problem with these uh, stats as the longest reigning NXT UK Champion. During the quarantine last year, everything stopped. Everything stopped over there in the UK. Nothing stopped over here in the WWE version of America. Not even the version of America. Let me rephrase that. Nothing over here in America's uh, version of NXT stopped. NXT over here constantly continued going. Weekly episodes upon weekly episodes upon weekly episodes. Well, NXT UK, they had to completely stop. They had to stop, and we didn't know what was happening. And I believed... Earlier this year, they were able to run right back up and get back to work. No, no, no. They did it late last year. Late last year, probably about like September, October. They were able to start running back shows and they were able to do what they had to do. But they paused and they paused in February. They paused in February, were able to get back in September, October. Dude, that's a big time span that you just couldn't do nothing. So, I would deduct some days off of Walter. That doesn't discredit what Walter has as that as a long-reigning champion. But it ain't 870 days. And then I can go even further because WWE can't even allow some of their wrestlers to do independent shows. And Walter didn't defend his NXT UK championship like that, like the people over here in America do. He didn't defend it like the NXT champion over here does. He doesn't defend it like the WWE champion over here does. No, he defends it whenever... They wanted to defend it. So that whole reign of longest reign deal, it's fugazi. It's a whole lot of shaky ground if people really want to get to it. And I can't wait for a WWE superstar to really talk about that. Somebody on the roster to talk about that. Because, matter of fact, I want Roman to say it. Because Roman is the only one that I think will actually have the cojones to say something about that somebody be claiming to be the longest reigning champion. While Roman has been there every month month after month, defending his championship on every SmackDown. Even though he doesn't wrestle on every SmackDown, he shows up and he makes his appearance known. That is what a champion is supposed to do. If you're not, at least go wrestle, be there every week, and at least you're going to be in some type of spot where the fans get to see you and people know that you're there. That's where I'm getting at with this. So, the longest reigning champion in the modern day era, Walter, I don't count it. I don't at all. Don't at me on this. I said what I said. After this, we have a backstage interview of Cameron Grimes and Ted DiBiase, and Grimes says that he there's a man looking down on him with a smile on his face because his boy is a champion. And he's talking about his father that passed away a couple years ago. And Grimes mentions his father whenever he says there's a man looking down. He's talking about his father. Ted DiBiase then grabs the mic and says that he is happy that Grimes is carrying the Million Dollar Legacy. He knew that Grimes was a champion, and he's happy to see that Cameron Grimes is now the new Million Dollar Champion. And he says that they're going to go out and party. 
Grimes tells Ted DiBiase that, listen, on Tuesday, they will be having a million-dollar celebration and that they're going straight to the moon. After this, we have another interview, well, backstage promo between Samoa Joe and William Regal. Joe's walking around and pacing in his locker room. Samoa Joe is just, just constantly just getting in his head. He's trying to just calm himself down so he can just do what he has to do. Regal walks in. He tells Joe that he's happy that Joe came back to NXT and he's happy that he tried to help Regal get control down here in NXT. Regal does tell Joe that since he is the general manager of NXT, he has to stay neutral in matters like this. He says that Joe will have an entertaining match and entertain the audience. He knows that's going to happen. But Regal just automatically says, but he hopes Joe kicks Cross's butt in this match. And they shake hands on it. And now Joe is more, more antsy to just rid NXT and also Regal of Cross. After this, we have the three stages of hell match between Kyle O'Reilly and Adam Cole. Remember, the first fall is a standard one-on-one wrestling match. The second fall is a street fight. And then the third fall is a steel cage match if they do make it to the third fall. The first fall goes to Kyle O'Reilly when he pins Adam Cole after reversing out of the Panama Sunrise and getting a pin. This is a quick fall. I mean, it was quick. The second fall goes to Adam Cole because Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly use everything that they can use. They use kendo sticks, they use chairs, they use trash can, and they use chains. And during the second fall, Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly, they're fighting on the entrance ramp. And Kyle O'Reilly chucks Adam Cole off the entrance ramp into plexiglass that's on top of the barricades to separate the fans from the wrestlers. And Adam Cole ends up winning the second fall by hitting Kyle O'Reilly with the last shot after sending Kyle O'Reilly into two chairs that were uh, standing up. And Kyle O'Reilly's lower back hits the top of the chairs. So Adam Cole runs off and hits the last shot, pins Kyle O'Reilly, and now it's 1-1. And as the steel cage was lowering down and being uh, about to become assembled, the medical staff come in to look at Kyle O'Reilly because Kyle O'Reilly is laying in the ring in agony and in pain. And Adam Cole sees this, and he's trying to tell the referee to ring the bell. The cage isn't fully even set up yet, and Cole just so antsy to try to get this match over with that he's telling the referee, yo, ring the bell, ring the bell. And she doesn't. So he rushed over to Kyle O'Reilly and starts putting the boots to Kyle O'Reilly. He kicks Kyle O'Reilly out of the ring before the room. Again, this is before the steel cage is even uh, made together, made as one. Cole and Kyle O'Reilly are now outside of the ring. And Adam Cole powerbombs Kyle O'Reilly on top of the announce table. And then he throws Kyle O'Reilly back into the ring. And he gets right back into the ring. And now he's sitting at one of the turnbuckles on the bottom turnbuckles, he's just sitting right next to it and just reveling in his uh, dominance over Kyle O'Reilly at that moment. And once the steel cage actually does get formed and actually does get uh, pieced up, and now it's one full functioning steel cage, the bell rings, and now it's time for the third fall. And Adam Cole dominates Kyle O'Reilly for this. He ends up handcuffing Kyle O'Reilly uh, one arm to the um, ropes. And whenever Kyle O'Reilly is just helpless at this moment, Kyle is eating super kicks from Adam Cole. Adam Cole is berating Kyle O'Reilly, saying that he was the man in Undisputed Era. Undisputed Era was all about him. You'll never be here if it wasn't for me. You were always riding my coattails. Adam Cole gets about a good three super kicks off on Kyle O'Reilly. And then whenever the fourth one was about to come, Kyle O'Reilly grabs Adam Cole's foot and then he drops and hits Adam Cole with a heel lock on that foot. And Adam Cole is yelling out in agony. He can't believe this. He's just yelling and yelling. And then he ultimately ends up tapping. So Kyle O'Reilly wins the match by 2-1. to one. He won the third fall and he won the first fall. So now their whole rivalry is technically done. At least that's what we're thinking right now. Because NXT is on Tuesday. And I don't think Adam Cole is going to go on... Adam Cole's going to go too uh, quietly off into the sunset, if you will. Because, again, we still don't know the contract status of Adam Cole. 
We all know, well, it's been reported that Adam Cole uh, contract did roll up. It did uh, get expired. He hasn't signed right back up. At least that's what reports are saying. So we don't know if Adam Cole is still going to be at NXT or is he done with NXT. We don't know yet, but we do know that for right now, this rivalry between Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly at least is done for right now. Possibly. After this, it's now time for our NXT title match between Samoa Joe and Karrion Cross. The match begins and Cross starts throwing out some leg strikes to Samoa Joe. The strikes are bothering Joe. Joe is just getting pestered like a gnat just bothering somebody. So Joe decides to run up and start slapping Karrion Cross across his face and then hits him with some forearms, throws him to the corner, hits him with a forearm and then a enziguri. Just to let the fans know that Samoa Joe hasn't lost a step in the ring. He doesn't have ring rust. He is still that guy. He is still the destroyer that he is. Um, during this match, we have Karrion Cross pulling out some moves. He does the Sayedo suplexes on Samoa Joe. He hits Samoa Joe with a forearm behind the head. He locks in the cross jacket. I mean, he's doing everything he can to try to put Samoa Joe out. If Samoa Joe isn't going out. Samoa Joe is Samoa Joe. He is that guy. So Joe, in the end, ends up putting Karrion Cross on the top rope. Well, on the turnbuckle, hits him with an insecurity, hits him with a muscle buster, and he wins. He hits him with a muscle buster, the same muscle buster that put TJ Wilson or Tyson Kidd, as WWE fans know him, out of in-ring competition and basically retired uh, Tyson Kidd. So now we have a new NXT champion. More than likely, Karrion Cross is out of NXT and onto the main roster. Who knows? We'll have to see with NXT. I hope they throw out some type of uh, main event guy coming to NXT because right now NXT is NXT, but it's not the same NXT of circa 2016, 17, or even 18. I mean, they don't have that many guys out here. I mean, we're going to have the final of the breakout tournament between Odyssey Jones and Carmelo Hayes on uh, Wednesday, but let not Wednesday, but Tuesday, but come on. NXT needs something to put uh, a lot of more people back onto that NXT train. NXT was AEW before AEW existed. Let's just call it what it is. It was AEW under the WWE banner. There was chaos that happened. There was guys that got signed, the hottest guys that got signed, and they were coming to NXT, create a big buzz, have big NXT been the busiest and most uh, groundbreaking promotion in North America, but now NXT is not that anymore. AEW is that. AEW is the groundbreaking uh, foundation and the groundbreaking uh, franchise, the groundbreaking wrestling company that everybody wants to jump to because everybody gets to do what they want. At least at NXT, it seemed that way. Even though we knew certain things you couldn't do, but NXT circa 16, 17, and 18... You had cool guys there. You had the Aleister Blacks. You had the Ricochets. You had the Velveteen Dreams. You had the Undisputed Era. You had Tommaso Ciampa and Johnny Gargano's whole feud just happening in 2018. I mean, you had Sanity. You had Authors of Pain. I mean, you had so many guys and gals in the NXT banner that now NXT is a former shell of itself. I mean, Samoa Joe is the champion, but I hope they... Throw some more bones in NXT so NXT could be that hot shot company again. So I can't wait to see what happens this Tuesday. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. And then I'm going to constantly watch because that's what I do anyway. But I'm just going to keep that behind my head and in the back of my head that, yo, NXT needs somebody. Let's hope that they're going to get it. And I'm just going to be waiting for that day. I told you I was going to talk to you guys about CM Punk and why... Him going to AEW is a big thing for the wrestling atmosphere. CM Punk left the professional wrestling business seven years ago. He comes back seven years later. He now is on the hottest wrestling companies. Uh, he's now on the hottest wrestling company. He's probably one of their biggest stars, probably with a big old contract. He's there to help out the young talent. He already said this personally on in ring. He's there to help out young talent. He's there to also uh, settle some scores with people that he has some scores to settle with, a.k.a. certain people that uh, he probably got some real-life business to deal with, 
AEW is going to be the hottest company before 2021 ends. It already is, but I mean hotter than the stratosphere because now they got CM Punk. They, they did something that WWE has been trying to do for many years. You even had Vince McMahon go on Stone Cold's podcast and Stone Cold mentions CM Punk and Vince acknowledges that WWE did something wrong on their part for not mentioning and mentioning and extending their handout to Punk for firing him wrong and doing all these things wrong. Vince didn't even know that CM Punk got fired on his wedding day. So Vince gets brought up to speed on that on the podcast, and he says that he would apologize to Punk, and he apologized to Punk on the broadcast on the podcast, Stone Cold's podcast, which aired on the WWE Network. How much is that for you? I don't know how much you need to show that CM Punk has a whole like strokers, like a whole stranglehold on the professional wrestling industry. When you got the Walt Disney of professional wrestling, Vince McMahon going on to Stone Cold's podcast on WWE Network on something that Vince McMahon owns and publicly apologizing to CM Punk. I don't know what gives you that idea that CM Punk doesn't have the wrestling stratosphere literally in the palm of his hands. Because he could have written Ring of Honor, and Ring of Honor would have been a big, big, big company just off the jump because they got CM Punk there. He could have went to Impact Wrestling. Impact Wrestling would have got massive eyes onto Impact Wrestling, and that would have put massive eyes onto all these young guys and gals that are in Impact Wrestling. He could have went over to New Japan and on New Japan Strong, and New Japan's subscriptions would have went completely up. CM Punk is that guy because he is a legit representation of what every professional worker, every person that works at 95, he's what every college kid wants to be. He lives by his own rules. He stands on his own merits. He stands on his own morals. That is what CM Punk is. He left WWE because WWE didn't treat him right. And then he waited and he bided his time. He did his UFC thing. UFC didn't go all right for him, but he did something that what he wanted to do. He did mixed martial arts because that's what he wanted to do. It wasn't about the money for him. He did it because, well, he wanted to do mixed martial arting, mixed martial arts, and UFC gave him the platform because UFC also uh, used CM Punk's name for notoriety. So why not? It was a win-win on both ends. So CM Punk did UFC. He did his dream. He was able to make a lot of money, still be a big household name that when P turned to AEW and that whole Chicago audience on his first night just erupted whenever you heard the statics going off for his entrance music of Cold to Personality and you heard the fans just start yelling and then you see the camera shots of one man crying that CM Punk is there. You see Punk on the ramp. He's on his knees and he has a tear going down his eye because he knows the gravity of what this is. He knows that he has the wrestling world in the palm of his hands. He knows that he has entered back into a place of relevance, not even relevance, a place of which he loved, a place that loves him, a place that sees him as a legit legend, an urban legend, if you will, because certain people will never be able to walk out of their job because their job has did them wrong. Some people won't be able to do that, but Punk was able to do that. And I'm not saying everybody can do that, because Punk left. He was at the height of WWE. He was at the main event. Everybody still wanted to see Punk, and when Punk left, it was a whole big thing of whenever he left. It was a whole thing. You had crowds chanting CM Punk left and right every Monday Night Raw, every SmackDown. NXT didn't happen, but every Raw and every SmackDown, people would just constantly chant Punk, for a good couple of months, and then the voices and chants would die down, and then Punk would pop, Punk's names would pop right back up again, and people would chant Punk, Punk, Punk on WWE programming to let WWE know that you guys messed up. You guys need CM Punk. We rock with CM Punk. That's what the fans were chanting for Punk. So, Punk getting back in the wrestling landscape, getting back in the wrestling whole bubble, it is a big win for, for the rest of the wrestling world it is a big week for everybody. If you're not in professional wrestling, you need to join in right now. I can't do it because my head throbs so much and I can't do professional wrestling. If I could, if I didn't have head problems, I would be joining professional wrestling some odd years ago to just do what I wanted to do 
as a professional wrestler, that's always been my thing. But, hey, it is what it is. I can now at least contribute to professional wrestling, at least in this aspect of me giving my reviews and me telling other people about professional wrestling if when they listen to this. And also, in certain uh, nuggets, in certain facets, I can even give out some storylines, some storyline ideas of whether WWE or AEW or Impact Wrestling or any other wrestling company wants to take from this and they can try to transform it and uh, fix the nooks and crannies of my own creation and throw it onto their programming of their show. So that's how I'm able to contribute. But Punk is a big, big, big game changer in professional wrestling. Don't ever let anybody change you, tell you that Punk's not a big game changer. He is. And if that pop on Friday night didn't tell you, I don't know what else could tell you. Oh, yeah, Twitter. Because CM Punk was trending. Best in the World was trending. Ice Cream Bars was trending. Ice Cream Bars were uh, trending because CM Punk talked about in WWE that he wanted ice cream bars. And WWE said they were going to get ice cream bars, but they never did. And his first night, he tells the fans, hey, when you guys leave out of here, ice cream bars are on me. So he fulfilled his promise that he was trying to do to God knows 10 years ago in 2011. So Punk is that guy. Punk is the man. And now WWE now has Brock Lesnar back. They have Becky Lynch back, which Becky Lynch was supposed to come back already. Brock Lesnar, we have no idea. There was always rumors and speculation that Brock's not with WWE no more. And he's just chilling out on his ranch. Nobody has any idea. But with Punk coming back, it added fuel to the fire of people saying, okay, Vince threw mad money at Brock just to have him come back to try to fight to see a Punk uh, chanting and see a Punk uh, relevance in WWE and AEW. My personal opinion, I don't think that's true. I think that this was the right place, right time for Brock to show up because it was SummerSlam and Roman needs a new challenger and get people more hyped up. So, it was the right place, right time, and it just happens to all fall in the line with Punk coming back at AEW. So, I want WWE to actually be competitive. I want WWE to come out and do what they should be doing, and that's actually put on good wrestling matches. SmackDown's able to do it. NXT's able to do it whenever they actually have the right key components in there to do it. The Pete Dunns, the Adam Coles, the... Isaiah Sorskis, the Santos Escobar, the Kyle O'Reilly's, the Roger Strong's, the Kushida's, the, all these guys that have independent notoriety that know how to work in ring and at least can talk on the mic for some bits. Like Adam Cole, he knows how to talk on the mic and he works in ring good. Roger Strong, great in-ring professional, but he doesn't talk much on the mic. Kyle O'Reilly, he can do what he has to do in the ring. He's good in the ring and he can talk a little bit on the mic. Well, I say a little bit, people might say more, but I don't think he's that really that good, good yet on the mic. Give him more practice, and you know, it'll be excellent. But I'm tired of rambling here. CM Punk has the wrestling world in his hands whenever he wants. I'm just looking for whenever uh, Bray Wyatt is going to show up. I'm looking for that because that's the one for me personally. CM Punk was a great one, and it hit me in the heart whenever he came back because I said, by God, he is a legend. He's the man. He's the man. He did what he wanted to do, and he came back on his own merits. He came back whenever he said he was coming back, and that's all anybody wants to do. They can go back to a job, and they can get a job whenever they say they want to, and they do it on their own uh, time. But Bray Wyatt, that's when the WWE really let slip through their fingertips. Uh, I don't understand what happened there, but, hey, that's the one I'm waiting for. I'm waiting for uh, Bray Wyatt to show up somewhere, and, or either AEW or Impact Wrestling, whatever wrestling company is going to be, I'm going to look at that because that's the man to me. He's created uh, he's created characters that won't die. Bray Wyatt won't die. The Fiend character won't die. Uh, the Wyatt family won't die ever in me because I loved all three of these car- incarnations of Bray Wyatt. Those were my deal. So, in the end, SummerSlam was good. Eight EW's having CM Punk back is awesome for the wrestling business. Bray Wyatt coming to either AEW or Impact Wrestling or whatever is going to be awesome for the business. NXT was great, but the biggest thing to take out of this, CM Punk 
man. He is the man of WWE, AEW. He's the man of the whole professional wrestling world. And the two matches that I want you all to watch, well, three, is Ilya Dragunov going against Walter at NXT TakeOver 36. I want you guys to see Roman versus John Cena because you can see the fans just loving this match. And I want you to see Edge versus Seth Rollins because that is a good match in its own right. So with that, I bid you all adieu. This has been my Two Cents Podcast, reviewing SummerSlam and NXT. I want to thank you all for listening to me. Again, if you want to listen to my Sunday episode, I my Sunday episode is titled, I Said What I Said. And it's available on Podbeam, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. My Twitter is at My2Podcast. My Instagram is My2CentsPodcastG2. If you want to hit me up for any business inquiries or just want to give me an email about something, it's My2CentsPod at Yahoo.com. And remember, it's not T-W-O or T-O-O. It's the actual number two. I want you guys to have a great day. Have a great rest of the week. Have a great blessed week. Wear your mask, stay masked up, and please, 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 just be careful So, because I don't want nobody to uh, get in contact with anything that can get you guys into any type of serious illness. So I just want you guys to have a great rest of the day and a blessed week. I'll see you, well, you'll hear from me again next Saturday whenever it's Wrestling Highlights of the Week, or you'll hear from me uh, Sunday whenever I talk about anything in the news or just something that I find interesting. But again, this has been my two cents podcast uh reviewing SummerSlam and NXT TakeOver 36 and this has been G2 I love you all this isn't a goodbye this is until you hear from the sweet voice again and I'm out I'm tired you tired uh-huh. Jesus wept uh-huh.